Good morning. Let's turn together to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, and uh, we'll be reading in a moment verses 15 through 23. Verses 22 and 23 are our focus today. Uh, after three months, some 13 sermons, we have come to the end of chapter 1. Uh, to put that in perspective, the original plan was to preach two sermons on chapter 1. Uh, we sort of got carried away. Uh, the, uh, the next piece of news is the original plan was five sermons in chapter 2. <laughs> so just settle in. It's a great book. I hope you have appreciated one because we've gone through it so meticulously, uh, the depth, the profound nature of the thought and the teaching in this one chapter of Scripture, as Paul sets out just the, uh, the eternal, almost sweep of our salvation, beginning with the counsels of God before the foundation of the world, when out of his grace and mercy toward us, he chose us. He decided that our destiny, he predestined us to be adopted as his children. And from there, Christ sent, dies for our sins. He's our, he's our redemption. He's the one in whom we have forgiveness. And working through that, and then the work of the Holy Spirit given to us, guaranteeing our salvation, the very presence of God in the life of the believer. And that, in that first paragraph, just the whole sweep of what God has, has done for us. And then in this second paragraph, starting... Uh, what, what was in verse 15 or so, uh, that, uh, or 14, well, whatever verse it was, that, uh, 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 that Paul says, and I'm praying that you experience a complete buy-in to what God has done in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm praying that you'll know what the Father of glory has done, that you'll know the riches of your inheritance, that you'll, you'll just know the wonder of the power, you'll know the depth of your of your hope that you have in Christ. He says, I'm just praying that these things will dominate your life. And so he goes from talking about all this that God has done, and then he talks about, and here's how we experience it by buying into that. And then at the very end of this chapter, he says, and that's resulting now in what God is doing to bring you together in a fellowship of believers, something called the church. And that's what we'll look at this morning, as, as Paul says, that God gave the Son, Jesus Christ, as head over all things and gave him as head of the church, that he is the head of the church. We are his body. That's what we're going to be talking about a little bit later on. And so by the time we get through to the end of, um, of chapter 1, then we just have a sense of everything God has done, our experience in buying into that, and the resulting church of whom Christ is the head. Right? Now, the, the important thing about keeping all that together is next week uh, when we begin our five sermons on chapter two uh, is that uh, he will start to talk about and here's how far you had to come how far God had to bring you in order to bring you to this spot and that's why he's going to talk about we were by nature children of wrath but that God sent his son and so now we are saved by grace through faith appropriated by faith and he'll talk about how God had to break down barriers, uh, walls that separated Jew and Gentile, that, that broke down the artificial barriers and, and structures of religion in order that we might come to God in a personal uh, relationship of faith. So that, that's sort of where we're headed. That's where we are. That's why we're talking about what we're talking about. Our concentration this morning uh, is on 
Christ the head of the church. And so let's uh, get a running start and read that together. We start at verse 15, chapter 1. And Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's bow together. Gracious Father, you've given us the wonderful privilege of serving in your name, of being the ones in whom your love is made known to the world around us, and the ones who, who can make manifest in visible ways how grace operates in human life, that you've allowed us to be servants who would go out and be the ones through whom you touch the lives of others. But Father, as great our privilege is to be your servants, we must confess that even on a good day we fall short that even on a good day we fail to show Christ in all his glory and beauty, that even on a good day, Father, we rely upon ourselves and we grow exhausted and tired. Father, that even on a good day we stand depleted before you. But that's why we're so thankful that you are a God who, when you command something in our lives, you give us the resource to do it. We're thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit, Father that our service and work and our ministry is not dependent upon our wisdom and our power, but solely upon the power of your grace in Christ Jesus, made known and manifest by the work of your Holy Spirit. Father, we're thankful that you have given us every resource, and though we fall short and though we are imperfect, yet you are pleased to use us still. We would ask only that we would respond faithfully and obediently, that your Spirit would continue to give us the drive and the motivation the courage, Father, to serve and to witness and to minister in your name, that all those around us would just see who you are, the majesty of your glory, and give you honor and praise. Father, we just ask that you would use us according to your will, asking in Jesus' name. Amen. The folks got so upset at John Huss that they burned him at the stake. They tied him to a stake, they stripped off all his priestly garments, and they burned him at the stake. And when they were done with that, they scooped up his ashes and they threw him in the Rhine River so that nobody could ever find the smallest trace of John Huss. About a hundred years later, a man by the name of Martin Luther discovered the sermons and the writings of John Huss. And he saw there that Christ is the head of the church. And, and Martin Luther, he had several issues with the church at that time, with the organized uh, church at that time, uh, to the point where he started putting notes on the bulletin board about the problems he had. Uh, that's, that's kind of a simplification, but you know what I'm getting at. 
but uh, Martin Luther started proclaiming, among other things, that when it comes to the leadership of the church and the head of the church and the person in charge of the church, it is Christ alone. It is sola Christe, Christ alone. And as he taught Christ alone, reformation broke out. And the church was challenged to come back to her Lord and her master and to proclaim Jesus Christ is the only head of the church. Oh, throughout the history of the church, even in modern times, you see people who come in and they want to establish some other head, some other ownership, some other Lord over the church. Some have proclaimed themselves thus. I mean, we see it in the, um, the ultimate in American religion, the, the Mormon uh, church, so-called uh, movement, where Joseph Smith decided, you know, all you other churches, you're wrong. And we're the only church, we're the, the real church of Jesus Christ in the latter day. We are the latter day saints, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and, and what he did was he surrounded himself with people that he had convinced, drew them out of the true body of Christ, drew them unto himself and became a very powerful and influential man. See, one of the things you can tell about a cult leader is that the cult leader always gets the power. The cult leader always gets the money. And the cult leader always gets the women. You just look through your church history, you'll find out that that's true. And this is what happened with Joseph Smith. Same kind of ha thing happened. David Koresh, Jim Jones, if these names mean anything to you. It was all about bringing power to myself and the, uh, shall we say, benefits thereof. A cult leader takes the church away from Christ unto himself. A true reformer, a Luther, a Calvin, a Wesley calls the church to Christ because Christ is the head of the church. We're in a crisis in our churches today because we are listening to that thing called television too much and, and we're, we're chasing the latest fad, the latest thought, the latest uh, you know, avant-garde kind of thing to do. And I'm not talking about chasing the music and, and those, uh, those kinds of things. That, that, that's going to ebb and flow back and forth. But it's when we start deciding that we have to preach sermons that don't offend anybody a sermon that will just be helpful and oh by the way there's jesus if you want to think about him but you don't really need to it's a kind of sermon that, that that proclaims itself as making the gospel message relevant when all it really does is take out those things that are offensive folks there are offensive things in the gospel one of them is called the cross one of them is called the doctrine of sin one is called the wrath of God. But folks, if you don't know those, you don't know the love and the grace and the depth of the mercy of God either. So, uh, you know, there's just this tendency to see that, well, what, what should guide and lead the church is the latest problem or the felt needs of the church. I go on church websites. It's almost a hobby with me. And, and, and uh, you know, I can't tell you the number of times I see a line like this. And, and during the worship service, the pastor will preach a helpful and timely sermon that will help you live your life. Folks, I know what they're talking about. I want to give you the most timely, helpful message there is. Jesus Christ is Lord. He died for your sins. He was raised on your behalf. God exalted him to the right hand of the Father and put everything under his feet and every name below him, dominions and rulers and powers. And, and folks, <laughs> and you just know this, don't you? But at the name of Jesus, every knee someday is going to bow and every tongue confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the most timely message I can give you. That's why you know 
that the most relevant thing you can do with your life, the most practical thing you can do with your life is live for the glory of God in Christ. That's the most practical thing you can do. You want a practical sermon that isn't just helpful hints for today, but is how to live for all eternity. You'll hear a message about Jesus Christ. See, so we're in a, in a time of crisis where, where um, there's so many competing uh, uh, claims on the lordship of the church and the, of the direction of the church, what the church ought to be. And Paul, in the midst of that, he says, you know, after I prayed for you that you would know um, just the, uh, the hope that you have and the inheritance that you have and the power that you have, I just, uh, I just want you to know that all of this takes place in Christ Jesus, whom God exalted to his right hand, put all things under his feet. And oh, by the way, once everything had been given to Jesus, he gave him as head to the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Now, we can ask, what does that mean to use the word head? And there's a lot of ways to go about it. You can use um, a sort of uh, word study methods and literature study methods and things like that. I'm just going to let Paul tell you what it means to say that Jesus is head of the church. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, if, you, if you're looking there, you just sort of set your eyes on, on verse 22. By the way, don't panic. I'm not going to interpret this passage yet. Right now, it looks like we'll be preaching on this passage in 2021. So just be patient. We're going to get there eventually. But, um, but in the midst of this, Paul's going to talk about wives and husbands. But in the midst of that, he's going to talk about Jesus as head of the church, Christ as head of the church, and what that means, how Christ is head of the church. And that's what I want for us to extract from this. Uh, the, the application to marriage we'll get in about uh, two years. So... Uh, In verse 22, he says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, um, by the way, this is a beautiful thing to pull out um, and and let it transform your relationship with your your spouse. But um, let let me say that for, for this morning, what I want for us to look at is that Christ is the head of the church. Because Paul goes on to say, and here's what it means to say Christ is the head of the church. And then he's going to make an application say, and, and husbands should be that way. But here's what it means when it says Christ is head of the church. It says Christ is head of the church. And this is the middle of verse 23. He is head of the church, his body, and his, himself is its savior. He is the one who saves us. Do you have any idea? I mean, you... you it, there's nothing else there about our salvation other than Jesus. There's no work. There's no, no ceremony. There's no liturgy. Those kind of things. Christ is the Savior of the church. Now, even as the church submits to Christ, so also wives to husbands. Uh, okay, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ, who is the head of the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I love this church. I love the First Baptist Church of Waldorf. Uh, if, if you knew what I know about the First Baptist Church of Waldorf, you'd know a whole lot more about the problems. Than, but I love this church because those little tiny problems that you have to find with a microscope in our fellowship are so outweighed by the marvelous, joyful fellowship that we have in Christ Jesus and the devotion to the Word and, and to the working of the Spirit in our midst. I love this church, but as much as I love this church, Jesus Christ loves our church even more. He loves our church. 
So Christ loved the church, and then what? Gave himself up for her. You know, we know that Jesus died for my sins. He died for the sins of the whole world. The, uh, the, 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 the book of John, the letter, first letter of John says, and, and so we know that he died for our sins as individuals, but here it says Jesus Christ died, and when he died, he died for the church. He valued the church that much. That's why it doesn't make any sense when you run across a Christian who has just a sort of a lazy, like a daisical attitude towards the church, sort of a take-it-or-leave-it idea towards the church. When Jesus died for you, he died for the church he wanted you to attend and belong to. And he died to bring us into a fellowship of believers. And so he gave himself up for the church that he might sanctify her. That the head, Jesus Christ, might make this church a holy place belonging to God. You're looking around, you're saying, well, the guy sitting next to me in this pew, he's got a ways to go. <laughs> sure, we've got a ways to go. But Christ is sanctifying the church. He's making us holy. Having cleansed her by the washing of water, I believe a reference to baptism, a reference to the, the, what that water represents, the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and, and being raised to walk in newness of life and the power of the Holy Spirit. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, with the proclamation of the word of God so that he might present the church to himself. Now, this is what the head of the church, this is what Christ wants to do for our church. He wants to present us to himself. How? In splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ is the head of the church. It means he's doing all these things for us kind of answers a, a question people ask every now and then. They say, why should I go to church? I mean, seriously, why should I go to church? Well, first, the Bible tells us to. It says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the custom of some. But also because Jesus is the head of this church. And Jesus is making our fellowship holy and blameless and splendor in his presence. You see, when, when Jesus is head of the church, when Christ is head of the church, uh, it means that we have a very real presence of Christ in our midst. You remember in Matthew 18, 20, that Jesus said, if two or three of you get together, there I am among you. I am in your midst. I'm with you. I'm right there. If you go back to Matthew 18 and that, that passage, you'll see that he's talking about a situation in which people in the church have had to get together to do some very hard things correcting one another and reproving one another and challenging one another uh, to live holy and devout lives, to give up sin and to, and to denounce the life that, that accepts sin as, as normal. And so he's talking about a very tender situation. He says, and when you're doing that, when two of you or three of you, you get together and your minds are on the same track and your hearts are on the same track and you're all pointed to the head who is Jesus Christ, he says, when you get together, there I am in your midst. That means Jesus is here. Brad, it's tough. I preach to Jesus. I hate to see his scorecard. <laughs> you know, you guys think I'm great. <laughs> no, what a privilege it is to hold up Jesus and to point to him and say, this is, this is our Lord, this is our Savior, this is the head of our church. It's Jesus, and he's here in our midst. You remember in Matthew 28, in the very closing verses of the Gospel of Matthew, 
that uh, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, look, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me, sort of like everything's been put under my feet. He says, and here's what I want you to do with this. I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to invite people into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Circle that with your Trinity highlighter. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to teach them everything that I have commanded you. So that's the mission of the church. That's what we have been given to do. It's a daunting mission. It it just stands before us and looms before us as as something greater than we could ever do. But here's what Jesus said about that. He said, once I've given you this to do, you got to remember something. I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. He says, I'm with you no matter what. What I've called you to do, I'm with you in it. Jesus is present in the life of the church. Christ is our head, present in our church. See, he's not just the founder of the church and we give him a portrait out in the lobby. or name a fellowship hall after him or a a Bible class after him or something. Jesus is the living head of the church, present today, this moment, even now in our church. And what that means is that means that we take our definition from our head. We take our definition from Christ. What are we to be? We are to be like Jesus. We're supposed to look like Jesus. This, by the way, is a very helpful, practical, relevant thing to give you this morning. If you're ever confused about what to do, just be like Jesus. Now, your, your, your objection is going to be, yeah, but they crucified him. That's fine. There are worse things than being crucified with Jesus. <laughs> and one of them's not. <laughs> You know, just be like Jesus. Jesus defines the church, you know, around here. If we ever have a discussion and we get off track, somebody stand up and say, what will help us look like Jesus in this situation? And we'll pray about it and we'll study it. This is why we study him. This is why we learn from him. This is why we preach him. This is why we, 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 we embrace him and adore him because he's our head and because we want to look like him. He's our definition and... Uh, He is also uh, our delight. He is the one who gives us um, our joy. Our joy is Jesus. Our delight is to look like Jesus, is to serve Jesus, is to serve our head. That's the joy that we have in this church. There's there's a lot of joy in fellowship. There's a lot of joy in potluck dinners. But the greatest joy, the greatest joy is to fellowship in Jesus Christ. You know, he gives us our definition. He gives us our our delight. He gives us our direction. Because whenever you want to know, what should I do with my life? Just walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Just walk in the steps of Christ. Walk where he walks. Be where he is. That's our direction as a church. And so Paul says, God gave him, God the Father gave God the Son to the church as the head of the body, as the head of his body. Now that, that, that uh, notion of body um, sort of um, has, has an interesting ring to it that we are the body of Christ. When the world looks around and they can't physically see Jesus, they can physically see our church. They can physically see believers and they can thereby see Christ in us when we're doing it right, when we're doing it right. Okay. So we are the body of Christ. Let, let me move on quickly to the end of that passage in, in uh, chapter 1. In uh, verse 22, 
gave him as head over all things to the church, verse 23, which is his body. And then the next phrase, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I'm telling you, folks, when I read that first in English, I thought, I sure hope the Greek can straighten this out. So I went and I read it in the Greek, and it just got worse <laughs> because there's a lot of technical terminology going on in there. Um, here, here's what's going on. We cannot fill up Christ. We don't make him more full than he was before. But when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, he meant that in the context of shepherding the sheep. And oh, what a privilege it is for us to be the ones who are guided by the good shepherd, who demonstrates his good shepherd character and nature in us who are his sheep. We're not completing Christ. We're not adding to Christ but we are the fullness of who Christ is as he expresses his nature toward us. Is this making sense? I hope so, because i got two more examples, and I can only remember one of them right now. He's a teacher. Teachers teach. They have disciples. They have followers. Jesus is always truth. You know, we don't add to the truth of Jesus. We don't make him a better teacher. You know, we don't make, add to his, his ability to communicate the word of God, the logos, but rather... When Jesus teaches us, his nature, his eternal nature as a good teacher, as the good teacher, is fulfilled and made manifest and known through us and in us. We don't add to him. He is fulfilling his character and nature, and he's using us in his grace to do so. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Look, the vine doesn't need the branches. The branches need the, the vine. But Jesus said, I'm the vine, and the way that's going to be expressed is you're going to abide in me, and I'm going to abide in you. And you'll have life from the, from the vine. See, we don't complete him, but rather he manifests his nature in us. So I think that's what it means when it says the, the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, the one who is complete and filled, and yet we have this privilege of, of filling that up uh, for him. And so uh, he is our head. Jesus is the head of the church, Christ, the head of the body. And that's not just a throwaway line. It's not just a nice phrase to use when you're trying to write a song. It is rather a deep and abiding truth that transforms how we do things and why we do things around here. It is why when the church gathers, they will do one thing. The church will do one thing. They will worship the Lamb upon the throne. They will give glory to the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what a worship service is. That's what we're going to do for all eternity. That's what we're doing now because Christ is the head of the church. Everything we do, teach, everything we're about is all about the head of our church who is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And so I want to give you a challenge on this one, okay? You ready for it? It's going to take you about a week to do this one. In one week, on Sunday morning, I want you to go to church. Can you manage that one? Okay. And not because it's a routine, not because it's tradition, not because grandpa and grandma are going to be there, although that's a very good reason, so go ahead and come for that. because Jesus Christ is the head of the church and we're going to get together and we're going to meet him in a special way and we're just going to love him a little bit more and our, and our devotion to him is going to go deeper. And so every Sunday, as you think about the church, you know, we, we use the phrase go to church. What does it really mean? 
It means gathering together in the presence of the head of the church, who is Jesus Christ. And when we do, then we come to understand the fullness of what God has done in Christ for us, beginning before the foundation of the world, just resulting in this morning when we sit in the presence of Jesus, the head of our church. Let's bow together in prayer. And Father, we just ask that your spirit would continue to move and work in our lives and give us a, a joy and an excitement and, and Father, to, to rekindle always the, the thrill that is ours to know Jesus personally at work and living in our lives. Father, I pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit that everyone in this room throughout this coming week would spend each day just acknowledging you, living for you, following in the footsteps of Jesus, making manifest and known his love and his compassion, his forgiveness. Father, that we would live as the body of Christ, that others would see indeed Jesus in us in all things. And Father, I ask this for your glory in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus.